Matthew chapter 2 and verses 9 through to 12. Let's pray as we now come to God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this wonderful news that we celebrate each Christmas. We pray, Lord, that for those of us for whom it is very familiar, that it will come with fresh meaning. Uh, And we pray, Lord, for those of us here this morning who perhaps uh, enjoy it as a tradition but are not sure it is real, that the spiritual reality of it would come home to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, friends, Matthew chapter 2 and from verse 9 to 12, let's hear God's word. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they returned to their own country by another way. On this uh, fourth in the series, Christmas Joy, I have for us a four-pointed star of a message. So, four-pointed star. And as we think of Christmas joy, uh, this morning we're thinking of worshipful joy. That's the theme of the message this morning. And we've seen, haven't we, how we're looking at joy from a perspective that perhaps is not obvious to us, or at least normal. When we think of joy, we tend to think of something that is about happiness or a particular kind of happiness. But the case we've been making over the last few weeks, and we make again today, this morning, and then uh, once more this evening, is that joy is a bit more than that. Uh, Joy is, in C.S. Lewis's words, an unsatisfied desire, which itself, uh, uh, that desire is greater than any other satisfaction. It's a bit like the feeling you get when you know that something really exciting is about to happen and you already have that excitement. The full satisfaction has yet appeared, which of course is the hope, the full satisfaction. The experience we have when we set our eyes upon Jesus and the fullness fullness of his second coming, that's the joy that we have. And that's why Christians, those who follow Jesus, can have joy even in the midst of dark times. Because it's a desire that we experience that we know is yet not fully satisfied but will find its full satisfaction. And we've been looking at that over the last few few weeks. We've looked at that surprising element. If you want to dig more into that, I did that most in the first sermon uh, on this series. And uh, then we looked at how it is centered upon 
God, the, the message of the overall message of the Bible, and particularly, of course, the incarnation, and it requires a personal commitment to God. And then we looked at how it is true. It gives us true help, true hope, and true home. I think I saw online that someone said I should have called that message ho, 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 to go with those three, three points. So I repent, and now I called it ho, ho, ho from last week. Well, here comes our four-pointed star. First point this morning, worshipful joy comes from following the star, not following our heart. We're very familiar, aren't we, these days, the idea that we need to follow our heart, follow our dreams, follow what's in your heart. But worshipful joy comes from following the star, not following our heart. In that sense, we're imitating the first journey of the magi or the wise men who went to discover Jesus following the star. Will you notice in verse 9 how they did not follow the instructions of the king? After listening to the king, they went on their way. They did not follow all the instructions of the king, and we need to not follow our heart. What an interesting idea for today. Obviously, our heart can have good intentions, but as we've already confessed our sins this morning, we all, I suspect, are aware that not everything that comes from the human heart is good. And if there is a king today, it is uh, the king of self. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. No, we need to ignore King Herod That is, don't follow your heart. Instead, uh, follow the star. What does it mean to follow the star today? Well, God, by his providence, uh, by his common grace, by the witness of the Bible, uh, by his sovereignty in your own life that has brought you to church this morning uh, is leading you if you have a heart to follow the star not your own heart is leading you to Jesus will you follow the star the word of God God's sovereignty in your own life providential arrangements of all the different parts of your existence the natural world around us are all replete with, if you like, a star that uh, in the end hangs over the baby in the manger. Will you follow the star? Now, some of us perhaps will be interested in what we are to believe about this first star that uh, the Magi followed. And what are we to think about that? Is it a a real miracle? Is it an invented fantasy? Uh, The Magi, or the wise men, were a priestly group of Persian uh, religious leaders who were famous for their ability to interpret signs, and they were associated with astronomy and astrology. That's the Magi group. Traditionally, they're thought to have traveled from Arabia because the Magi, though originally from Persia, 
went throughout the, uh, the Middle East at the time, the ancient world, and there were many of them in Arabia too. And so when it says in verse 1 of chapter 2 that they came from the east, traditionally it's thought then they traveled from Arabia. So much for the Magi, a real group of people, and this is a, a subset of that group who traveled following the star. What about the star itself? All sorts of different opinions have been given down that through history. As far as I can see, a scientist uh, called Humphreys has perhaps the best current interpretation. Uh, he believes it was a comet. Ancients actually described comets as standing over uh, places, as it's described here in the Bible. Uh, because of their long tail, they can look like they're standing over a location. And they appear to move because of the rotation of the earth, of course. This is not a new interpretation. Uh, Oregon, the great early uh, Christian leader, interpreted it as a comet. And actually, if you look through uh, the Chinese Han Dynasty records, uh, they have records of uh, a comet uh, at the right time. But whether this is a miracle of timing, that is a natural event, a comet, that the Magi, with all their uh, inclination to interpret the events of the stars as having significance, or a miracle of God overriding the laws, it is now recorded for us in Scripture, and that's the star we are to follow. Uh, The laws of nature are how God normally works. And God, who is the author and the sustainer of everything, can, like a composer of a piano piece, write into that piano piece accidentals, things that are not the normal but are still part of his authorship. And if this is indeed a miraculous star, he's perfectly capable of writing in that accidental into his composition of the universe And, of course, the incarnation itself is such a true, true miracle. But God, who is able to do anything, uh, can certainly do such miracles as the incarnation and uh, and the star, if that is how you interpret the events. For For myself, I think probably, because of the Magi background, this is probably a comet that they interpreted uh, rightly, because God is sovereign over all events, as leading them to, the, uh, to the, the baby. Well, God is sovereign of the events of your life. And he has brought you here. Will you follow the star? So first of all, follow the star, not your own heart. Second, second point of this four-pointed star, worshipful joy comes from him himself, not us ourselves. Uh, This is uh, the first part of verse 11. Going into the house, they, the magi, the wise men, saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. It's an amazing thought. These magi, powerful religious figures, the elite, traveling a long distance, they fall down on their knees before a baby. 
All the focus is on him and his value, his significance, on him himself. And when we look at him, not at ourselves, when we look at ourselves, there are all sorts of reasons to feel down or discouraged. But when we look at him himself, when we worship him, when we fall down before him, that's when joy, uh, when joy comes. Is it fair to say that it is pride that prevents us from experiencing joy? I think there's a lot of truth to that. Not, it's not the only reason for sure, but I think there can be a lot of truth to that. Again, look at those magi. If any people in the ancient world had reason to be prideful and stand up straight and not fall on their knees, certainly not before a baby, it would be the magi. And yet they worship. What about you? Too proud? Too proud to have worshipful joy? D.L. Moody put it like this. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Worshipful joy comes from him himself, not us ourselves. Third point in this uh, uh, four-pointed star Worshipful joy comes from what he did, not what we do. Uh, This is the second half of verse 11. So they fall down and worship, and then, second half of verse 11, opening their treasures, they offered him gold, uh, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What are we to think of these gifts that the Magi offer? Uh, The traditional interpretation is they represent the different offices of Jesus himself. They represent Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. So in in theological terms and systematic theology, Jesus is positioned as our prophet, our priest, and our king. That is, Jesus is God's word. He's the ultimate and final prophet. Uh, Jesus is the sacrifice that will stand in our place and offers himself as a priest, his own sacrifice. He is our great high priest that gives us access to God himself. He's prophet, he's priest, and he's king, of course, king at his birth. He is the Lord. And so the traditional interpretation is these gifts of uh, of gold, uh, of course, represents the kingship of Jesus, Jesus. The uh, frankincense is uh, meant to represent the prophetic office of of, uh, Jesus and uh, and the myrrh is meant to represent uh, his his death and therefore the the priestly. Uh, That's a perfectly legitimate interpretation that has gone down through uh, many years. Is there any biblical basis to it? I think there's at least a hint in John chapter 19 that it is well-founded. In John chapter 19, we're told that Jesus' death, when he was uh, covered with special um, uh, spices of various kind, including myrrh for his death, Of course, that's John's gospel, not Matthew's gospel. But nonetheless, I think it's a legitimate range of opinion to interpret it as as, uh, the prophetic and the priestly and the kingly nature of Jesus. Here being witnessed 
uh, by the Magi. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Magi understood all that, but it, it could be that Matthew is recording this as the evangelist to lay the groundwork as we follow on his story in Matthew's gospel that we would understand the prophetic nature of Jesus as the, the ultimate word, as the, the ultimate preacher, because Jesus was a preacher, as the, the great high priest, so that we all now have access to God uh, in, 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 through faith and as his kingly authority. Certainly possible. It's also possible that instead the, the thinking of Matthew is less uh, around these different offices of G- Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, and more around, around the sheer luxurious nature of these gifts. They were highly valued, very expensive. It could be that the thinking in our mind is meant to be for Matthew, uh, instead of these different offices, we're meant to be thinking of the Queen of Sheba when she came to Solomon with all the, the riches and the gifts. And Matthew's telling us, no, this is the real king, not Solomon. Jesus is great David's greater son. And all these gifts from the east are coming to the king of kings with all the luxurious nature of these gifts. And that's certainly also a good frame of interpretation. Uh, the book of Isaiah suggests something similar when it talks about how all the wealth of nations will come to Jesus. And from the east, the Magi are bringing these luxurious gifts to indicate that he is the king of kings. The wealth of nations are coming to Jesus. But whichever of those two interpretations you take, In any case, it is telling us that this is about Jesus and his action, whether merely his kingship, that is the luxurious nature of the gifts, or the prophet, priest, and king, his action, what he did, not what we do. And my dear friends, freedom from guilt and condemnation, and therefore joy as a result comes as we focus not on what we have done, but on what he has done. And that's why it's really impossible to preach a Christmas message without also preaching an Easter message. In the same way, it's really impossible to preach an Easter message without preaching a Christmas message, because the two go together. Jesus came as Savior. It's what he did when he was born and lived and then died on a cross to save us. And if we're to experience worshipful joy, it will come as we focus upon what he did, not what we do. Our performance is always inadequate, never sufficient. No one has ever fed enough poor people, prayed for enough non-Christians, or gone to enough church committees. Uh, No one has ever lived the sufficient and perfect life, not even the most godly among us. In fact, one of the signs of becoming more godly is you become more attuned to your own sinfulness. As you get closer to God, you realize how sinful you are. Where, therefore, comes joy? It comes when we focus on what he did. I... um, I've always... I've never met this particular musician, but I've been reliably informed by people who know him through the years that Alice Cooper is a real Christian. Alice Cooper, of course, was, and still is, was quite a controversial rock star before he got converted. 
But I love what Alice Cooper said about, uh, about this emphasis on what Jesus has done, what we have done. He said this, Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's real rebellion. It's not about what... If Alice Cooper... <laughs> If Alice Cooper can become a Christian, then surely you can. Uh, so, all right, fourth of our four-pointed star. Worship joy, worshipful joy comes finally from the future, not just uh, from the present. Well, verse 12, now we're looking over the horizon as the story carries on, of course, and we won't spend a long time on it, but... They're warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And if you read down your Bibles, you'll know that they, uh, they uh, fly to Egypt because they're fulfilling the, the, the Old Testament promise that out of Egypt I call my son. That is, Jesus is the true son that Israel was not. As, as Israel was rescued from Egypt and out of Egypt God called his son, well, Jesus is the real Israel. He's been rescued from Egypt. Out of Egypt. So they go to Egypt to fly away, uh, to flee from Herod. And then Herod uh, is furious. He knows that a king has been born and he misunderstands what that king is. He takes it as a threat on his own political power. And so he brutally murders all the male children under a certain age range. Uh, in order to try and get rid of this king who's ki- king born of the Jews. But I, 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 I think, therefore, what, what we, as we go through Advent and we land at Christmas Day, we're always intended, aren't we, in the, the traditional way Advent is done, to be drawn to the, to the further horizon, not just of the text, but the further horizon of our own lives, and not just the further horizon of our own lives, but the further horizon of Jesus himself who will return. That is, we need, in order to have worshipful joy, not to only think about the present, but also the future. And that can be very practical. Reality often comes back into focus after Christmas, and if if our only source of joy is the buzz of Christmas, it's not very long-lasting. Uh, but it can be a little more substantial as well. Our life is really a journey as Christians. We're pilgrims journeying through this world, looking uh, until we meet Jesus face-to-face uh, or until he comes again, whichever comes first. And our worshipful joy uh, comes finally from, therefore, that, that future. And it's an important word, I think, for the church today and Christian people today and preachers today. Preachers like me are always trying to get people to make a decision or to come to faith. And, and the tendency then, as I listen to preachers and I listen to other people who listen to other preachers, the tendency then is to offer people what they can have now. Because that's more tangible. You come to church and you'll fix your addiction. Well, that can certainly happen. You come to church and your marriage will get better. Well, again, that can certainly happen. Uh, you come to church and you'll have joy. Well, again, in Jesus, we, there is real joy. But we need to remember that rightful definition. That in the end, there's a future horizon. And we cannot promise, or we should not promise, some people do and they can, but we should not promise heaven on earth 
And people will be disappointed when they come across their experience as a Christian that is less than ideal, when they come across a Herod. Uh, and of course, there are still uh, sociopaths, and there's evil today. We just have to look at the news, and there's evil in our own lives. So the worshipful joy, therefore, where does that come from? Given that reality, someone in one of the Q&A sessions I did the last few weeks said to me that a friend of theirs was saying, how can you talk about joy when there's so much bad in the world? Well, the answer to that, of course, is our joy is rooted in something other than merely the present. We experience it now, but it's rooted in that far horizon. And that's why the apostles sang in jail. They weren't like, oh, jail's great. I really love being in prison. They were singing in jail because they have a further horizon that they know is coming, and therefore they experience joy now as they focus on the future. Well, anyway, that's our four-pointed star. Here it is. Worshipful joy comes from following the star, not your own heart. From him himself, not you yourself. From what he did, not what you do. And finally, from the future, not just the present. Or in summary, follow the star. Which, of course, means come back tonight. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, thank you uh, so much uh, for these magi. And thank you for the way that you providentially arranged their lives to bring them uh, to see the baby Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we would follow the star and come and have that worshipful joy and bow before you and worship you and therefore experience uh, that joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.